In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Betches Media presents... Betches Moms, with hosts Aileen Drexler and Brittany Levine. Get ready to lock yourself in the bathroom or wherever else you hide from your kids because you'll literally never be alone again. Hello and welcome to the Betches Moms podcast. I'm Brittany and today we are joined by Dr. Tanya Altman, pediatrician, best-selling author, and network television parenting expert. Welcome Dr. Tanya and thank you for coming on Betches Moms. Thank you for having me and congratulations on your new little one. Thank you so much. This is my second week back so it's been crazy. I can only imagine. And I don't hear anything there. So um, he's probably not with you in that room, at least. No, he's off to daycare. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> we all need a break. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us. Before we start with everything, could you just tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and your background? Definitely. So I'm a pediatrician in Southern California. I own Calabasas Pediatrics Wellness Center, and I've been practicing for over 20 years. I've always been interested in preventive health. What can you do with kids, you know, from day one when they're babies to help prevent illness and disease later on? And so I really focus a lot on nutrition and sleep and screen time and everything that, you know, often um, is hard to fit in in those typical super busy, you know, insurance-based visits. So my office is a little different, a little slower, and we really delve into preventive medicine. I have three boys. They are 16. 14 and six. So yes, I am the oldest mom in first grade, same husband. Um, <laughs> just the way it happened. And it's so fun. Um, he keeps me young is what I always say. Although my husband always says it makes him old, but um, so they're, they are great. I have six parenting books. I love helping parents with, you know, everything they need to know, all those questions that come up in the middle of the night. I also, over the last year and a half, somehow became one of the pediatric COVID experts, which um, I'm, you know, I wish I didn't have that role, but it's been fun for me to learn about what's new and really help advise schools across the country. So COVID school health has become a passion of mine. And um, I also help out many different news programs and talk shows. I'm on CNN and KTLA regularly and anything I can do to help. I feel like, you know, this is my community service. I'm a pediatrician. I am here for families across the country and throughout the world. And Although it's been exhausting these last, this last year and a half, I do feel like, um, you know, I've really been able to connect with so many more families than I can every day in my own office and help them out with everything that they're experiencing, whether it's newborn colic or, you know, how to prevent your third grader from getting COVID and still have them be able to go to school every day. That's amazing. You do, I don't know how you do all that with three kids. That's incredible. And I aspire to be like you. And also like you have a new mom here. So everything that you just said, I have a bajillion questions for you as do I'm sure all of our listeners. <laughs> but first, let's start with I know you specialize and you were talking a little bit about, um, you know, 
preventative care for our children, making sure they stay as healthy as possible. But recently published peer-reviewed studies show that even with the best preparation, more than 90% of the babies in the U.S. suffer from newborn gut deficiency. What What is gut deficiency? Because that's a high number. So I feel like that's something we need to know about. You know, it really is. So if you go back like you know, generations ago, babies got their good gut bacteria that we know programs their immune system and really starts them off, you know, healthy from day one from moms during that messy birthing process, right? But due to modern medical interventions, which are life-saving and very important, such as C-sections and antibiotic use and things of that nature, we've really decreased the amount of good gut bacteria and protection that moms have to pass on to their baby. So even like in my case, if I did everything right, you know, I was super healthy during pregnancy, I had a normal vaginal delivery, I breastfed my baby, um, I may not have that good gut bacteria to pass on to my babies because maybe my mom had maybe a C-section. Maybe I took antibiotics during pregnancy. I honestly don't remember if I took them during pregnancy because with three boys, you know, that's, that's all erased, right? <laughs> it's wild. That way we go on to want to have more kids. So we've realized due to this drastic increase in allergies and autoimmune issues in kids that there is something missing in the gut. And this has been identified as a specific good gut bacteria. And studies have shown that unfortunately in developed nations such as the United States, and this is different from what you'd see in countries like Bangladesh, 90% of babies are missing this important good gut bacteria when they're born. And this is what is leading to overgrowth of unhealthy gut bacteria, all the colic, fussiness, gassiness, things like that. And then down the road, you know, more allergies, autoimmune issues, and even type one diabetes, there's good research coming out on that link as well. So this is something that I've been working with researchers at UC Davis on identifying and fixing, and there is a way to fix it, which is, which is amazing. And that's what we're sort of talking about here today. Yeah. So that was definitely my next question because as a new mom, and I definitely went through this with my, my youngest Jack, who's four months old. Um, he, so I was on antibiotics when I was in my eighth month of pregnancy and I had to get an IV of antibiotics because I was group strep B positive. And for anybody who doesn't know, you get tested for that before you give birth. And I don't know how you get it. I think you just get it. It's very common. (laughs) A third of moms have it. I had it too. And I was like, Ooh, how would I get that? But it's it's just something that a lot of us have and you have to treat it. So that way the baby doesn't get a a really bad infection after they're born. So don't feel bad. It's nothing you did wrong. Yes. So I, so there was a lot of antibiotics involved and um, I did find Jack being super gassy and uncomfortable. And I was constantly taking him to the doctor and we didn't know what was wrong. Do you think that there was definitely, and now actually he has a milk protein allergy, which I found out a couple of weeks ago, he was pooping blood, unfortunately. But do you think that a lot of this might've stemmed from the fact that I was on antibiotics? Um, it definitely may have. Um, so, you know, we used to think that fussiness and gassiness and colic and reflux and all these things were just normal rites of passages for babies. Like, yeah. oh, it's just normal. Your baby will grow out of it. But now we know that it actually can be due to dysbiosis, not having the appropriate good gut bacteria in your baby's gut. And like I said, you didn't do anything wrong. I mean, this happens. And that's why we're seeing so many more kids nowadays with 
gut issues. So yes, this is now identified. It now has a term, a label. It's called newborn gut deficiency. And it's very common and babies can be affected in a wide variety of different ways. Um, but if you catch it early or if you just treat babies early when they're born by supplementing with the right good gut bacteria, the probiotics, you can actually help change their gut microbiome because at that age, the first six months of life, they are so moldable, you know? So if you seed them with that good gut bacteria, it will stay with them and crowd out the bad gut bacteria and really help them with these symptoms and also decrease future issues later on in life. So how old was your son when the, the milk protein allergy started? I think he, it was always there and that's why he was having symptoms to begin with. And also with this, with the, uh, gut deficiency, um, this was, this happened two weeks ago where he start, he pooped one morning and there was blood. And I was like, Oh my God, it was a Sunday morning at like 9am and rushed over to the doctor. And, and I'm, I actually still have to go to the gastro and this is all very now have to go to the gastro next week. And, but had to switch his formula. I had to stop eating dairy because I breastfeed as well. Um, but you know what? He's been a new person ever since. And he also had really bad um, infant acne. And it all cleared up in a week once I took all the dairy out, which is crazy. Yeah. And so I assume you're talking about your four-month-old, right? Not your three. Yes. I'm talking about my four-month-old. <laughs> um, so yes. I mean, I think that is something that we do see. So the blood in the stool, it's not um, what you think of as a true like allergy in terms of like my child eats a peanut and gets hives all over. It's more of an intestinal irritation, usually from dairy, but could also be soy and other things. And again, probably stemming from that gut microbiome and how their immune system is developing. So although we need more data on this, I would, sup I would supplement him with Avivo, which is the B Infantis probiotic, because I have seen some resolution in my patients of those symptoms. But in the meantime, you wanna follow your doctor's instructions, see the GI doctor, they're probably gonna recommend you go off of dairy, see if it gets better. The good news is that babies usually outgrow this between six and 12 months of age. So what we often do is, you know, as he gets older, we just have you, hey, have a latte, try a little dairy, see if the blood comes back. Um, and sometimes in some cases, if we really identify that this is the issue, this is what's causing the blood, the baby's doing fine, they're not anemic, you know, then sometimes we say, you know what, don't let the little bit of blood worry you. But right now you're still in the figuring it out stage. But I think in addition to taking dairy out of your diet, I would consider giving him an appropriate probiotic. Um, and I think we know that um, specifically with Bifidobacteria infantis, it actually feeds on human milk oligosaccharides, HMOs that are in breast milk. And so babies can't utilize all of breast milk on their own. 15% of what's in breast milk is actually there for good gut bacteria to utilize and break down. So when you don't have that right gut bacteria, those extra HMOs, carbohydrates in the breast milk just get pooped out. And that's why a lot of babies will have that watery, squirty, loose stool more than five a day. That's actually not a normal thing. That means that that good gut bacteria there isn't breaking it all down so the baby and the bacteria can utilize it. Um, so if moms also see that as one of those signs, so usually I say if um, babies 
are having more than five watery stools a day, if they're having lots of frequent diaper rashes, if mom or baby got antibiotics during pregnancy delivery or, you know, right after delivery, such as in the NICU, then chances are you do need a good gut bacteria probiotic to supplement you know, your baby with every day. And this is the right age. This is the age where you can change their gut microbiome. You can't say that for older adult, for older kids and adults, you know, once your gut microbiome is established, you start eating regular food. It's really hard to change it permanently. You can augment it, which is why when I put older kids on antibiotics, I'll say, go ahead and take probiotics too, but we can't make a big change in their you know, underlying gut microbiome and their immune system and the way that everything is programmed in the first six months of life. So this is really the key time, you know, right. to do it. So uh, when you say uh, to put them on a probiotic, is there a certain p- amount of time that they should be on a probiotic? Is there such thing as too much probiotic? So the window ideally is that first six months. That said, there's nothing wrong with having your baby on longer, especially if you're talking about activated B. infantis, the specific good gut bacteria in Avivo that really feeds on those human milk oligosaccharides and breast milk. So as long as you're breastfeeding, then you know you can continue to feed your baby the Avivo every day. Um, now, even if your baby's only getting a little bit of breast milk, that's okay. We usually mix it with a few milliliters of the breast milk and just squirt it into the baby's mouth every day. Um, in addition, um, your baby's probably also on vitamin D, right? Yes. So vitamin D is another really important supplement that is recommended for all babies, breastfed babies, formula-fed babies, because we know how important vitamin D is also not only in bone development, but also in immune development as well. And so that's sort of something that I recommend for almost all my patients at all ages, because unless you have kids that are drinking a lot of milk, um, they're really usually not getting enough vitamin, as much vitamin D as they need. You talk a lot about breastfeeding and um, babies getting breast milk, but what about the babies that are just formula fed? Does it work in the same way? That's a great question. So we don't know exactly if it works in the same way because breast milk is really so unique. It's hard to replicate it. That said, there are still benefits and I've clinically seen benefits giving Evivo, B. infantis to my formula fed babies. And we know that fed is best. So I don't want anyone to feel guilty if they, you know, are unable to breastfeed, if they are doing half and half, if they, you know, wean at some point. But the research is mainly in breastfed babies. But yes, I have seen benefits in my formula fed babies as well. And HMOs, human milk oligosaccharides, are really complicated carbohydrates. So you have some formulas that now say they add it to their formula. And while that is great, it's still not the same and as diverse as in breast milk. So just to sort of point out that difference. But yes, I think all babies would benefit from from having this probiotic supplement. That's great. And Avivo is a specific brand. It's not just a type of just it is. It's really the only one with all of the research and data worldwide um, mm-hmm. on how it works with human milk oligosaccharides to help colonize your infant gut and program the immune system and decrease all those inflammatory markers that we see that are linked later on to allergies, asthma, obesity, autoimmune disease, such as type one diabetes. That's great to hear. And it's nice to know that there's actually something out there that could help 
reverse all of this because everything that you named was every red flag that Jack had. And I didn't know any of this. And obviously we're not too late, but you know, it got to a point where there was actual visual signs that I couldn't ignore. Um, So I'm glad for everybody listening that they could maybe take this into account. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. What I love about Shopify is basically how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. I know we use Shopify here at Betches, and honestly, anyone with any kind of business could really benefit from Shopify. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash betches, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash betches now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash betches. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well... Good thing Instacart shoppers are just as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They're milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. What other type of questions should we be asking our pediatrician? So that's a great question. And I just want to make sure, you know, we're still in the pandemic and I want to remind everyone, it's so important to see your pediatrician for all those regular well baby and well child checkups, right? So your pediatrician may have a slightly different schedule than I do, but I usually say the first few weeks really depends on how the baby's doing. So if your baby's eating well, pooping well, growing well, I don't need to see you as often. If you're having feeding issues, if you're having stooling issues, sleep issues, well, all little ones are having sleep issues, right? Um, If your baby's getting jaundice, then I'm going to need to see you more often. And usually after two to three weeks, once babies have regained their birth weight and they're showing us they're doing really well, then the visits will spread out to one month, two months, four months, six months, nine months, a year, and so on. So at every well child visit is really your opportunity to talk to your pediatrician about everything going on with your baby from head to toe. So, you know, not only about your feeding routine and your sleeping routine, but also looking at your baby's skin. Are they having any dry patches, any eczema, any rashes? You mentioned baby acne. And while some of this is normal, some of this is also a sign that there might be something wrong on the inside and we can help you with that. Um, Also, I find that, you know, 
Sometimes it's the products my patients are using on their babies that are drying out their skin. And so I think all of these things are really important to talk to your pediatrician about. We are not there just for, you know, runny noses and ear infections. We are there to help with everything. So that way you can raise a healthy, happy baby and get them on the right track um, for a life of good health and good development. Um, one of the other really important things is, um, you know, making sure that your baby is neurologically fine and meeting all of those milestones. So at the two month visit, you know, we really want to know that baby's starting to smile back at you and interact. Your four month old now is probably cooing and really getting involved in what you're saying. And you can even have a whole conversation, right? Even though it's yeah. in language. Oh, and yeah. To reach out and grab things and let you know what they want. And hopefully your four month old is starting to stretch out those nighttime feeds now so you can get a little bit of sleep. He's Jack is a good sleeper. He likes his sleep. Every he does do usually a seven to seven. And <gasps> Yay, it's been amazing. You are amazing. That's because of you. You did everything right. <laughs> Thank you. And um he he like last night he was up for well, actually, my older son Oliver was screaming for us. That's another thing. He's like going through his three uh the three-year regression, whatever you want to call it, screaming for us, woke up the baby. So I was up with him for a little bit. But for the most part, he's a really good sleeper. He likes his sleep, which is nice. Um, so he definitely he gets in most of his food you know, during the day. Which is great to start to switch that around, you know, around three months is usually when I tell parents, you know, let's start trying to kind of feed more during the day and less at night. Let's switch up that bedtime routine. So they're not reliant on the nursing or the feeding to go to sleep at night. And when they wake up in the middle of the night, so maybe feed them first, then give them the bath, put them in the bed drowsy, but awake the crib actually. Um, and then read a certain book or sing a certain song, the same thing you do every night. Cause those routines, those bedtime routines are so important for creating healthy sleep habits. And how many people have older kids that don't sleep? Well, you can establish really good sleep patterns early on in life. And that's really critical as kids get older because too many kids today aren't getting enough sleep. And actually that's one thing that in many cases, the pandemic helped because they weren't having to get up super early to go to school. They all got an extra hour or two of sleep, which was amazing. Um, and so I think that actually in some ways helped many of my patients. Speaking of COVID, do you feel that now kids are in school? Like, what are your thoughts on like the mask wearing and development? Like I'm nervous my kids are in school and they have a caretaker who they can't see their mouth. And that makes me really nervous. But at the same time, I want them safe from to be safe from COVID because, you know, they can't be vaccinated. So what are what are your thoughts around all this? So, you know, when COVID first happened and everything shut down, um, that that March, um, that was one of our concerns. You know, how are little kids going to wear masks? How are they going to learn? How are they going to communicate? And what we realized is that they actually were still able to learn and communicate and understand facial features from the eyes and the cheekbones and the voice and the intonation. And so it actually did not affect kids in terms of child development. The okay. other thing we found is that last winter, like they didn't get sick, right? Because everybody was masked, distanced, really obsessive, cleaning everything. And it wasn't until things started opening up this summer that we had this like, you know, big surge rebound of all these winter illnesses like RSV and rhinovirus and all these things like kids were started coming in sick every two to three weeks again. 
So I do think that we know that masks are really like the best defense um, against COVID-19. I mean, that in, in, in addition to vaccines, of course. And so I, you know, it won't be forever, but I feel that in most areas of the country, it is still important to mask. And when kids are masked indoors, we're really not seeing transmission. Every school that calls me in to help figure out why they had transmission, it's because there was a breakdown in their mask protocols. It was. People were pulling them off. Kids were sick at school, coughing on the teacher. Um, when you have masks, you really don't see transmission. And so we just know that that's like one of the best things to do indoors. Outdoors, it's probably less necessary. And many schools now aren't masking outdoors anymore, which, which is fine. So I think I'd hang in there a little more, things a little longer. Things are getting better. But especially on the East Coast, where you are going into winter, where it is going to be cold, experts are nervous about seeing a little bit of a rebound in COVID-19. Also, with the flu starting out there, we're worried about this twindemic. And I just did a couple you know, news segments on this. And when kids or adults or anyone catches two illnesses at the same time, two respiratory illnesses, it can be so much more severe. I mean, it's when my patients have RSV and rhinovirus or the flu and something else, that's when they often end up in the hospital. And there is good data that shows that people that catch flu and COVID at the same time are more than twice as likely to die as if they have COVID alone. And again, not to scare you as this is more, you know, with, with older adults as opposed to the little ones, but it's, it's those double infections that often put my patients in the hospital. And when kids have germs, they get germs, you know, they get more than one thing. We know that because they're touching everything and yes. rubbing their nose, eyes and mouth and putting their hands in their, in their mouth. So I think this winter, we're going to have to keep with these masks, but I'm hopeful that like next spring, we will be peeling back all of these COVID protection layers and getting back to more normalcy. Most schools are pretty much running normal now with masks. Um, but yeah. I think masks are going to be one of the last things to go. And then also maybe testing for those that are doing surveillance testing regularly. Right. Yeah. Do you think, because one of the things that kind of happened this week in my three-year-old's class was that over the past two weeks, every kid has the same cold virus, but they're all masked. So you think that's just a breakthrough in them basically being three-year-olds taking their masks off? Like, do you think that they should be switching their masks out in the middle of the day because he comes home and it's disgusting, like gross? <laughs> so like, is that something that's like, at, at what point, like, is are the masks actually doing anything if we have three-year-olds who aren't clean like adults? Sure. So a few thoughts there. And I think that's a really important question. So we know that with COVID-19, it is mainly spread through respiratory secretions and people breathing and talking and blowing on each other. Whereas other viruses, for example, RSV may be more surface touching, right? So the mask is probably protecting more against the COVID and the flu. It is keeping kids from touching their face as much but when you're talking about RSV and rhinovirus, although you can get them from coughing in people's faces, mm -hmm. if these are asymptomatic kids, kids without symptoms that are in preschool, it's probably more from touching things. So I think changing masks three times a day, hand washing, disinfecting are all still very important. But sometimes some of those other viruses are a lot more infectious and easier to catch. Um, they're not as serious, which is why, you know, we don't normally shut down schools for rhinovirus outbreaks. Rhinovirus is a common cold virus, um, yeah. 
But those are mainly what is going through the preschools. And what's interesting is the preschools in my area, I know what's going on in them because I do respiratory panels and a lot of my patients that are sick Mm -hmm. because not only do the schools here in Southern California now want to know you don't have COVID, we want to know what it is. So I know that this daycare has rhinovirus and this preschool has RSV and this one has paraflu. And usually when I walk in to see the kids, I mean, I can sort of guess what they have based on their symptoms and where they go to school. Now that said, COVID can look like any other illness in kids. And you really cannot tell unless you do a test. And that's why testing is so important Um, because it's sort of the great masquerader right now, especially in kids, they might be vomiting with diarrhea or they could have a cold or they could have a fever. So it's not as classic in kids as it is in, you know, adults. And what is the best way for families that have kids and babies to kind of separate them and making sure that, you know, to keep the baby as safe as possible? So the same things that we did even before the pandemic, when you have a newborn at home, I used to always recommend that you make sure everybody else in the house, you know, is vaccinated against flu and whooping cough, Um, that you have all the preschoolers change their clothes when they get home from preschool and wash their hands. Any older sibling or adult that comes into the house, wash their hands, change their shirt before they go ahead and pick up, cuddle with the baby. Anyone that has symptoms of any illness, we always had them stay away or wear a mask. Mm -hmm. Um, Breastfeeding moms, we've always had them breastfeed through almost any illness, but we used to have them wear a mask even before COVID if they were sick so they didn't breathe directly or cough directly on their infant and share those germs. Um, So all of those things are still very important. And again, Outdoors, not only COVID, but almost all illnesses are, you know, have less transmission outdoors. So I know that's hard to say when you live on Long Island, but here in Southern California, you know, we're still going to do Halloween and Thanksgiving and all those holidays outdoors. Mm -hmm. I just ordered a backyard heater. I hope it comes in time, you know, for my family winter holidays so we can still do almost everything outdoors. We actually got a heater, which they were impossible to find last year. And we somehow got one and we were still doing everything outside and the heater works amazing, but it would be like November 40 degrees and we were outside. (laughs) (laughs) Crazy. That's great. It's good for your kids. They need to experience that. You know, we used to walk, you know, uphill both ways in the snow to school um, and now they're all used to getting driven everywhere. Right. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
one other thing I wanted to touch on for newborns is when's the appropriate time to start solids and which solid should we be starting with? Because there's so much information out there to start with grains, to start with fruits, to start with veggies. Like what, what is your advice on this? Definitely. And actually, I have a few great resources that I've written, which I didn't mention before. So if it's okay with you, I'm going to mention it. Yeah, of course. Toddler Basics, which is the American Academy of Pediatrics book that I write, answers parents' most common questions they ask their pediatrician. So from like, you know, what do I do if my baby's snot is green to how do I start solid? So all of that is covered. And then I wrote a book specifically called What to Feed Your Baby on how to raise a veggie-loving, no-fuss, healthy-eating kid. And the guidelines for starting solids have really changed a lot over the last five to 10 years. So we now know based on research that early introduction of a variety of foods, especially all those allergenic foods like peanut butter and almond butter and eggs and dairy and fish, um, all of those things, if you feed them to your baby on a regular basis, starting early in a form they can handle, so no choking hazards, of course, it can decrease the chance that your child will develop allergies. So that combined with the good gut microbiome, the right bacteria that you need um, with, with Avivo can really set your baby up for allergy prevention. So when you start solids, what should you start with first? Well, you know, there's no strict guidance anymore. So in California, a lot of my moms like to start with avocado, right? Master <laughs> And I think that's great. Avocado has, you know, such, such good um, healthy fats for brain development. It's also good for the heart. Um, but if you prefer to start with other veggies or other fruits, um, that is fine too. Just, you know, steam them, puree them up. Anything you make at home is better than what you buy out. That said, I'm a busy working mom. So I did plenty of, you know, baby food delivery services buying. And every Sunday I would make a bunch of my own and freeze it in an ice cube tray. So there's ways you can do all of it. You know, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Um, make it easy for yourself. I do like to give peanut butter and almond butter early on. So I'll take a little bit and melt it into um, baby oatmeal. Um, so there's so many different ways that you can feed your baby healthy. I like to keep it, you know, whole, real foods, simple. Um, and then as soon as you can get them eating what you're eating. So most babies, you know, around eight or nine months of age can handle small pieces. And so you can just start pulling off a little bit of what you're eating as long as it's healthy, where it's a little bit of, you know, grilled chicken breast, unless you're a vegetarian, a lot of steamed vegetables cut up. Um, babies love to gnaw and eat. And the goal is that by a year of age, everybody in the house is eating the same healthy food for all meals at the table. That would be easy. That'd be easy if it was even happening now with my three-year-olds and my, we all eat different things. Me and my husband don't even eat the same thing. <laughs> so you're a short order cook. Okay. So we're going to have to work with that. So I would say maybe start with one night a week where you're all going to eat the same thing. Yeah. And maybe even let your three-year-old choose it and get involved. I love getting kids involved in the kitchen. That helps so much. Anything that they make and create and they name after themselves. Yeah. Um, they are more willing to eat. And even if you don't, don't force them to eat it, as long as they make it and they mm -hmm. present it, you know, if you keep trying and keep putting it on their plate, keep putting it on the kitchen table, they will eventually go to eating it. But three-year-olds do get picky. So you want to just keep offering because if you take away what they're picky towards, 
Like they, they're picky. They don't want green vegetables this month. If you stop serving them vegetables, they're mm-hmm. never going to go back to it. They're yeah. going to forget it exists. So you have to right. keep, keep showing it to them and show them that mommy and daddy eat it too and how yummy it is. And they will go back to it. Yeah. I always like to take like one piece of vegetable and put it on his plate because he's in that phase where it's just like carbs, cheese, like frozen food. Like that's all he wants. But I like to take the one thing and put it on his plate. And sometimes he'll lick it and put it down. And like, sometimes he'll take a bite and put it down. He's it's rare that he actually will eat it at this point, but when he was a baby, he would eat everything. But I, I, I do need to continue to have him like help with everything. I like the idea of having him name what we're making. I think that would be a fun activity. Yeah. Like Oliver's lasagna. And then let's tell daddy all the ingredients (laughs) in it. The other thing is that licking it, taking a bite, even kissing that broccoli, praise them. Yay. Yeah. And that's okay. Don't, don't force it. Just keep showing them that it's there and how to eat it. But definitely when kids take part in shopping and cooking and presenting, they do seem to be more involved and they want to try more. Also kids have to be introduced to something at least a dozen times, especially if it's not something that has that sweet taste. So Mm -hmm. we know that there are certain tastes that just take longer for kids to get used to. And you know what? That's okay. Um, They will eventually get used to it. But as long as you avoid all those overly processed added sugar, added salt foods, because those are the things that aren't natural. And when their brain sees those things, it's like fireworks going off in their brain. And then of course that's all they want to eat. Right. So as long as you can keep them away from that, which is easier said and done with the first child than the second or third child that gets dragged along to all those birthday parties, right? Um, you know, then that's totally fine. I think my older one, like did not know what pizza or a cupcake was until he was four. And then of course this, the second one who's two years younger, he learned at age two, going to all the birthday parties with his older brother. So that's yep. just kind of what, you know, what happens, but each age has its each, you know, placeholder in the, um, in your kids have, it has its own benefits and they learn from their siblings and there's pros and cons to being first, second, third, fourth, fifth, whatever it is. Um, and that's okay. That's just things that we learn to work with and deal with as a parent. And when we are ready to feed our newborn, are there specific signs that we should look for to know that they're ready? So between four and six months, babies are usually developmentally ready to start solid. And so things that you want to look for is that they have good head and neck control. They don't have to be sitting up on their own, but they have to be able to hold their head up enough. They also have to be able to move the food from the front to the back of their mouth with their tongue. So if you gave them a little scoop of something pureed, let's say pureed broccoli or carrots in their mouth, and they just kind of push it out with their tongue. They're not ready yet. So wait a week and then try it again. The other sign often for like breastfed babies um, or even also bottle fed babies is that if they're pulling off and looking around and really interested in watching you eat and like, you know, they're kind of mouthing as you're eating and they show you that they want it. That's also a sign that they want it. Or if they are just drinking so many calories, like, you know, 36 or more ounces a day, that's probably a sign that they do need some solid food nutrition. And don't forget that initially food is really just for fun. It's not a lot of calories. So the goal is to teach them how to eat, how to move the food from the front to the back of their mouth, and how to get their brain used to all those healthy flavors and textures of real nutritious food. Right. Um, this is all great information and everything you're saying. I'm like, oh, Jack's ready. <laughs> I have to start giving him food. He's sleeping through the night too. I'm sure he's ready. He sounds yeah. like he is, that he's definitely developmentally ready to eat. Yeah. It's interesting for me because Oliver was not ready this early at all. 
So it's different this time. Every baby is different, you know, and often that's why it's so hard not to compare siblings Mm -hmm. and not to compare nieces and nephews and neighbors, but every baby and child is different. And that's why there's not strict guidelines, right? I mean, the reason they're called guidelines is because, you know, you look at them and you see what would work for your child and what you might need to wait on. But if you notice that your child is delayed on, you know, more than one milestone, or you have any questions or concerns, then always please bring them up to your pediatrician because we don't want to miss any red flags where early intervention, you know, may be able to help them. For sure. And something else that like keeps coming up in the news that I like dying to ask you is what are your thoughts on like all the heavy metals in baby food in the processed baby food? I think this is a huge issue. Um, and one of the reasons why making food in your home, you know, may be a better option that said our soil has changed over the last, over generations, right? So there is just more arsenic and other things in our soil, which means it's in our vegetables. Mm -hmm. So it's heavy metals are everywhere. It's hard to avoid them completely, but what you can do is try to buy whole real foods, locally grown foods, go to your farmer's market, make your own family's foods and avoid all of the processed added foods as much as possible. Um, And that's really the best thing that you can do. But it is a huge concern when I see those headlines and when foods are tested um, and they find high levels of heavy metals, because we know this is just not good for our little ones who are so small with developing brains. Um, But it's also very challenging because you can't test every single item before you give it to your family. So it's all about choices along the way. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I feel like what's so difficult, and this is like my mom's group chat like blows up with this every time it comes out on the news because we're like, oh my God, what do we give our kids? Is if if it is because it's in the soil and it's in our vegetables already, does it really matter if we're giving them something that's jarred or we're making it? If it's, there's nothing actually added to it? Like how? It's a good question. I don't know if we have the data there to compare that, you know, when Mm -hmm. you make it at home versus when it's made in the factory. And that's why I think one of the best things you can do is just feed your little ones a variety Right. So if you're not giving the same cereal every day or the same, you know, jarred 
vegetable every day and you're mixing it up across Mm -hmm. different brands, across different food items, across different making it at home and buying it, that's probably the best thing you can do. Um, Not only because your child will then get exposed to a variety of different ingredients and whatever is in there, but also it will help get them used to their taste buds, used to a wide variety of different flavors. Because when you think about it, let's say you buy banana at the grocery store, right? I know that every banana I buy tastes different, but jarred bananas all taste the same. Yeah. So you kind of want to get your baby used to that variety of taste, texture, consistency, because you don't want their brain to think, oh my gosh, all chicken's supposed to taste like a nugget, right? Because that tastes different. And when you feed your toddler chicken nuggets and that's the first chicken they get, that's what their brain is going to compare all future chicken to. So that's why feeding them, you know, fresh baked, boiled, grilled chicken breast at home, where you just pull off little pieces or puree it yourself and mix it with a vegetable is probably better because that way they get the different flavor and textures and they will learn to accept a wider variety of different items. That's great advice. And I can't wait to go back and tell everybody that all my friends, literally, it's a conversation that comes up way too often. Um, Really good advice. Um, Is there anything else that we didn't touch on that you feel like our listeners should definitely know about? I mean, I think one of the most important things is to find a pediatrician that you have a really good relationship with, that you feel comfortable asking all these questions to, um, that you can call in the middle of the night when you have that you know really urgent question. And that also will really focus on you and your baby and your unique needs. You know, how was your pregnancy delivery and the birthing process? You know, would your baby benefit from getting supplemented with that important good gut bacteria, B. infantis, to help crowd out that gut bacteria, that bad gut bacteria? And we know that EVC001, B. infantis, has been shown to reduce bad gut bacteria by 80%. And that's really important because these are the bad gut bacteria that we know are linked to colic, diaper rash, gassiness, fussiness, reflux, and then all those diseases and conditions later on. So to really look at all of this, does your baby need vitamin D supplement as they get older, checking their hemoglobin, you know, do they need extra iron or do they have enough since that's so also important for red blood cells and brain development. And, you know, personalized medicine, I think is really one of the new areas now. Um, And I think, you know, it's so important to just be able to ask questions about your family and what your infant needs. And we know, as you mentioned, your two boys are so different. All three of my boys are so different. No one is exactly the same. And so I think that's why, you know, it is important to see your pediatrician regularly and really go over all of these small details. And I'm glad that you've been doing that as well. You talked about your four month old and I know you have a little, some visits to come up, you know, with the GI doctor and all of that. Yes. And you will figure it out. I would definitely recommend starting at Vivo every day. I would continue breastfeeding as long as you can, even if you can't have dairy. And I know that's so hard. I'm a big dairy person. I have my latte right here so tough. <laughs> with it's milk so in tough. it. Personally, I'm not a milk alternative person. I just don't love the taste of it. I don't love all the extra ingredients. I think fewer ingredients are always best when it comes to what you're eating and drinking and feeding your kids. Um, But everybody has their own preferences there. So if I have a family that comes to me and says, ooh, we really want to do oat milk. Well, let's talk about why. Let's look at the ingredients and let's see how else do we have to modify your child's diet to make sure that they are getting enough calcium and vitamin D and everything else they need. Um, And so I think that's, you know, that's, that's so important. Um, But I am glad to hear that you are a boy mom and two boys are amazing. They will be such good friends when they get older, even if they're not always growing up. And, you know, adding a third boy to the mix, 
isn't going to be so bad either if that happens in the future. I, I'm, I'm actually at the point where I, I say to my husband all the time, I'm like, I don't know, maybe we'll be going for that third. He's like, I'm done. He's like, you could have a third. I'm not. I'm like, okay, <laughs> we'll talk in two years. <laughs> exactly. You kind of forget about it. Honestly, having that big gap, I think was so helpful because my 16 and 14 year old can babysit now. I mean, my, my, my son's six now. So it's easy to say, Hey, I got to run to the grocery store. Watch your brother for an hour, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't really care what you do with him as long as you're all safe and healthy when I get home. Right, right. It's fun. Boy, boy moms, it's it's fun. It's different. They're wild. It is, but I feel like in some ways it can be easier. You know, every every age, every sex has all of their own challenges. But yeah, it's of course. It's definitely fun and a life experience. Yes, for sure. That's it for this episode of the Betches Moms podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and follow us on Apple and Spotify and to follow us at Betches Moms on Instagram. And remember, there are no rules on this podcast. I'm not like a regular mom. I'm a cool mom. The Betches Moms podcast is produced by Sean Kilby and Jorge Morales-Pico. Editing by Stacey Wong. Social media by Brittany Levine. Guest booking by Nicole Pellegrino. Be sure to follow us at Betches Moms on Instagram and send us your emails to moms at betches.com. Betches.